This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another... No, no, no. Scratch that. This is not just another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am still your host, Ray Harkins, and this is our four-year anniversary. Woo! Yeah! Yeah, I brought in a live audience. No, just kidding. That was me talking away from microphone. But thank you so, so much. Like, I'm going to try to remove all the hyperbole and other things that I can praise upon you as a listener. But honestly, thank you so much. This thing has been an outlet. It's been a motivating factor. It's enhanced my life in so many different ways that uh, I never will be able to thank you or repay you. And for those of you that have supported the show since either day one or are just jumping in listening to this thing, it's it's amazing. Because after all, all this does is keep me connected to this independent music world that we all know and love. And I want to evangelize how amazing this stuff is. And I want people to become more ingrained in it and aware of it and find this as a very uh, important point in their week or day or month or whatever. So thank you. That's all I'm going to say. You're amazing for following me on this journey and giving me the ability to uh, have an audience because (laughs) I've never really had that in my life. Yeah, I played in a band and yeah, I played in front of people, but to have this sort of uh, really captive and supportive audience, I just, uh, it's amazing. You know, it's like the show gets anywhere between 20 to 40,000 downloads a week. And that's unfathomable for me that you decide to check this out on such large numbers because really like the show technically isn't really growing anymore. I think we've reached our sort of plateau, but it's such a comfortable plateau and I love it. It's manageable in my day-to-day life. It's not overwhelming or stressful and I, I just love it. So thank you. I know I've said that like five times now, but you, you, I'm pointing at you listener. That's putting this into their head right now. You're amazing, and uh, please keep supporting the show because there's only one way that I keep doing it, and that is, uh, yeah, if people are listening. Or technically, I probably would still be doing it if like 100 people were checking it out. But anyways, this is special because I wanted to bring out a person who I have had on my list. You know, I've mentioned those lists before to you where it's like, Anytime you're starting something, you always write down a list of like, oh, maybe people to speak to or like things to do. This person was on a very, very earliest iteration of trying to get guests for the show. And uh, I just, for whatever reason, was never able to track him down. But I finally got him on the show. And we're talking about Daryl Taberski. He is the vocalist for a band called Snapcase. And I'm probably butchering his last name. And I apologize, Daryl. But I never do a pronunciation check. And I should. But... Probably not, just because I think it's uh, kind of a, the charm of the show at this point. So, But I'm, I'm apologizing directly to you, Daryl. But uh, Snapcase was such a huge band for me. It really gave me a positive outlook on life. I mean, I've, I'm a generally a positive person to begin with, but anytime I was in a bad mood, I could put on Looking Glass Self or Progression to Unlearning, the Steps EP, anything of those or, you know, mid to late nineties records. And it just, it cheered me up in ways that I, I can't even put into words. And, uh, Daryl 
I mean, Snapcase has done some reunion shows here and there, and Daryl has done some interviews here and there, but never a fully sort of realized and centralized interview that I feel like I try to put out there on a weekly basis. So I finally was able to get Daryl, and uh, yeah, we texted, we we met up, not in person, unfortunately, over the beautiful magic of the internet, and we had a very, very long and lengthy conversation about Snapcase, his own life, and everything else, but... I will, I'll dive into that in a minute. Let me get some more sort of four-year anniversary pieces of news out of the way, and then uh, you'll be able to dive into the interview. So there's new intro music. For those of you that have paid attention on a pretty regular basis, you probably know that every so often I change the theme music. And basically, I do that once a year. On every anniversary show that I do, I try to change the music, and it, that is the music that I use for the year. So let me see if I can run off my memory off what I've done. So the first year was Balancing Composure. It was a song called Quake. Second year was Refused, and I'm totally blanking on the song name now, but it was Refused. <laughs> and then last year was Cloud Kicker, who made some original music for the show. I think he repurposed a lot of the riffs in uh, some of his more later records after he donated these songs to me. And uh, I really, 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 really liked that opportunity to have sort of unique music crafted for the show. But I also liked the mood that it invoked, and I wanted to uh, kind of duplicate that this year. So. There is a project from a man called Andy, who is a great human being, and he makes music under the moniker Lowercase Noises, and that is what the song is. It's from his project called Lowercase Noises, and the song is called The Hungry Years. So just Google it, and you'll be able to find him. Amazing music, very atmospheric, very just great stuff. So thank you very much, Andy. He donated his song to be used for an entire year on this show, and I really, really appreciate it. And uh, you can also find the podcast now at the Google Play Store. So if you are hanging out on Android or listening to this on the web, dive in there and you will be able to, excuse me, I dropped my pen. (laughs) You'll be able to listen to the show there. And uh, one last favor before we dive into the interview with Daryl. Please spread the word because I think, like I said, the show is now at a space in which it's is there. Like I don't, we're not getting any, you know, huge numbers beyond what we already have been getting, and it's really comfortable. But I would love to kind of bump it up a notch in the sense of if you haven't told your friend about this show, do it. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do it because all those things sort of compound and get the snowball effect where it's like, oh wow, starting to see some some things happening, more people checking it out through iTunes because it's risen up the ranks as far as reviews are concerned. It's a really important factor, and I've learned a lot about it at my day job. How those iTunes reviews are a huge, huge component of uh, shows that move up the charts. So please do that. I really appreciate it. But without any further prolongment in this interview, uh, here's Daryl. I couldn't thank him enough for doing this. And he it was funny because at the very beginning of the conversation, he was like, I don't feel overly nostalgic in general. But then after we finished the conversation, he's like, you know what? That was actually really fun and a pleasant walk down memory lane. So anyways, here's my discussion with Daryl. Thank you so much for four years, and here's to another 40 more. No, 40 sounds a little ridiculous, but how about another four? All right, here's Daryl. Snapcase was so, uh, I guess, uh, foundational for me in 
understanding that that hardcore could be, um, you know, inspirational. Like this is, you know, I, I'm 35 years old and I started to get into, uh, you know, Victory Records and all that stuff in the mid 90s. And, um, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that uh, was happening during that particular time was, you know, some somewhat focused on the negative. Um, like, obviously, there are, you know, hardcore, there's always bands that are uh, preaching a positive message. Um, but you guys were so clear cut in regards to the fact there was, you know, there's no posturing or politics or anything, but just like trying to motivate. It seems like that was always mm-hmm. kind of the case with the band. Um, it, was that something that was very, I guess, kind of intentional from your guys' standpoint, or did that kind of evolve over time? I don't know. I, I don't think it was super intentional, but it was somewhat intentional. I think uh, it was more important to us to be kind of creative and unique and um, progressive, more so than just be kind of a carbon copy of of what we've already seen. And we drew our influences from so many different bands. Um, from an, right, right from the early stages, um, we were listening to everything from, you know, punk to metal to, you know, kind of like, I guess like the Smiths and the Cure, Britpop, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then of course, all your classic hardcore, New York hardcore and things like that. So that was obviously what we aimed to be, but, you know, we still kind of, we're listening to the messages and the music of all those other types of music. And, you know, we didn't want to abandon that just to, to kind of be one thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's one of those things when you obviously start a band in, you know, your late teens, you don't really, uh, you know, have the foresight to realize like, Hey, these lyrics that I'm, you know, penning for our first, you know, couple seven inches or whatever, like someone's going to ask me about them 20 years later of like, was that intentional? Cause you know, you were just doing it because it was a fun thing to do with the band. But then, um, you know, as it progresses, obviously you can see the uh, sort of impact that stuff has. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first, the band that was the preceded step case was a band called solid state. And um, I can remember maybe the first show we played, and I was playing bass. I think we did a social distortion cover <laughs> and a um, and a uh, minor threat cover. <laughs> That's awesome. You just you wanted to, uh... and then a couple and a couple of originals. Right, right. <laughs> I always like that notion. Um when you obviously start your, your, you know, early bands where it's like, Hey, we have to do covers because people probably aren't going to move or do anything. Like we got to inspire some sort of, you know, interaction between the crowd and us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so like b- backing up a little further, uh, were, were you yourself born and raised in Buffalo or was that where you kind of came up and, um, you know, in high school and stuff like that? Uh, I was, I was born and raised in, in Buffalo. Yep. And, um, in, in the suburbs and, uh, went to high school here. I actually went to a private high school and, um, which is also where Tim, our drummer went to school and was also where Dennis, the drummer of earth crisis went to school. Uh, those two guys were, um, I think a year, maybe two years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I didn't really know them in high school, 
Um, I think when I was a senior, though, Tim, he wasn't in in the, my band yet. It was, I think that was still Solid State. And he bought a demo tape of ours um, at a show. And I got word that this kid at school bought a demo tape, but the, 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 the cassette tape itself didn't have anything recorded on it. <laughs> so... I was like, no way, because I think I re- I recorded them all. I, I dubbed them all in my bedroom at my parents' house. Right. You know, it was like probably two boom boxes or something. And um, so I was like, that can't be, or that can't happen. So I, I found out who he was, and I gave him another demo, and that, that was Tim. That's amazing. Kind of a funny story. <laughs> I love. I definitely love that notion too of the. Uh, you're like, there's no way that that could have happened because I sat in my room for like seven hours and dubbed <laughs> forty tapes. Like that was, I, I touched every single one of those. I yeah, I dubbed while the tapes were recording. I had a, I literally had a typewriter. It sounds so funny and old fashioned now that I'm thinking about it. And I used to type out all the sticker labels. And then I would, you know, peel them off and put them on the cassettes while one was recording. Right. And then, of course, with scissors, we cut out the photocopies of the cassette cover. Of course. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. When you, you, you kind of create your own little assembly line when you're putting something together. And you feel like it's like you're doing, you know, God's work, like the most important work you've ever done, where it's like, oh, man, this is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, um one one other quick side note to that story is that myself and Tim and Dennis uh, all share the same birthday, which is another weird thing. That's really strange. So, yeah. So you guys you guys all get together and uh, <laughs> hey, it's uh, it's your birthday, it's your birthday, it's your birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. We've been on tour together, so right. Yeah. So there's you have no choice but to celebrate. <laughs> did, mm-hmm. did um. And so what was your family structure like? Do you have, like, older, older brothers and sisters, or where do you kind of sit in the family? Um, no, I'm, I'm the oldest, and I just have uh, one younger brother. He's seven years younger, so I guess I was, like, an only child until I was seven, and then I was dying to have a little brother, and then he came along, and then I just couldn't wait for him to be old enough to, like, throw the ball around and then eventually skateboard and all that stuff. So my brother was hanging out with teenagers <laughs> at an early age because I just always brought him around. Do you actually recall like having a yearning for uh, a younger sibling and you were hitting up your parents asking them for, for one? Oh, yeah, all the time, all the time. <laughs> That's funny. Especially to play baseball with or football with. Sure. You're like, I need a buddy. And then when he was born, I was disappointed that he was just a baby and he couldn't catch a football or anything yet. So, <laughs> right, yeah. you're like, hey, <laughs> I, w- I would like him to be fully formed, please. Yeah, now that he's here, when can he catch? Right. Um, and so, what did your uh, what did your parents do for a living? Like you, you said, you lived in the suburbs, so I, I presume it's kind of uh, you know the middle class existence. Yeah, my mother was a nurse, worked in a hospital, and my father worked for the railroad. He worked for Conrail, which is a East Coast railroad company. Um, and uh, he worked in, in claims, which was nothing too exciting, but, you know, he worked in more of like less an office job. And, uh, yeah. Got it. 
So would you uh, would you kind of classify your upbringing as a pretty you know traditional? Even though it, you mentioned that you went to a private school, was that like a, a, a you know religious affiliated school, or was that just something that your parents were passionate about sending you to a private school? Um, it was it was a, it's a Catholic school, it was an all boys Catholic school, and um, yeah, the funny thing was is that you know that the school where I lived. The, the public school wasn't didn't have a great reputation, and then one of my friends down from down the street uh, told me that he was going to be going to that school. So I guess they must have put the bug in my parents' ear, and then um, but they weren't going to just let me go to the school that my friend was going to, so that we then had to go to like the open houses for all of the local, you know, private schools, public, uh, Catholic schools, and. And then pick one, right? So. Right. It, yeah, it wasn't like, oh, hey, your friend's going, so I guess we'll send you there. It's like, no, we need to do the due diligence and look, you know, look around and make sure this is the right place. Exactly, and that was the funny thing is, is that that school was where I was introduced to skateboarding and punk rock. That's funny. Well, yeah, oh. because you don't, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have girls to distract you, so you're just uh, you're finding all this <laughs> other stuff. That's true too. <laughs> um, so, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? Like, were you, um, you know, did you were you attracted to sports? Were you kind of, you know, an indoor kid? Like, where did you place yourself on that spectrum? Uh, I was really into sports, um, playing sport, um, watching sport, learning sports trivia, collecting sports cards you know, memorizing the stats of every player on my card, like that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, you know, and then whether baseball, football, um, most primarily. And then, uh, and then maybe some hockey and some basketball as well. You, you can't escape hockey in, in a place like Buffalo. No. And, um, you know, and then the other thing was, you know, as a kid, you know, in the suburbs, it's just it's full of neighborhood sporting events. So in the summer, it was baseball, and fall it was football, and and then the uh, winter was hockey. Mm-hmm. And did you did you so, play um, did you play all those as well? Uh, in the neighborhood, I did, and I played organized baseball right through high school. Got it. Um, was the love of sports kind of fostered through your, uh, your, your, your parents? Like, you know, did your, was your dad really into it? So it was kind of something that you could do with him. Um, I think the baseball was, was probably my grandfather. And then the base with the football was more my, my father watching football and Buffalo is the kind of town where if the bills are on, <laughs> what you're doing is you're, you're watching a football game and even, even in the seventies and um O J Simpson was the star of the Buffalo Bills when I was a kid, so you know, and his nickname of course was the Juice and I just I remember my father screaming, The juice is loose, the juice is loose every time O J would break a run. <laughs> That's so great. So I thought that was like I thought that was the best thing ever. Totally. <laughs> Well, especially because juice is obviously this universal thing. Like, you know, when you're one year old, you know what juice is. So it's like, well, this is so cool. I know this. <laughs> um, yep. And so then as you started to, uh, you know, go, go through junior high and go to uh, high school, 
and you started to develop more of your identity. Uh, did you find yourself, uh, like you mentioned, obviously you got introduced to skateboarding and stuff like that. Um, did you find yourself being, you know, like an outgoing person or were you more interested in kind of sticking to your group of friends? Um, where did you place yourself on that spectrum? Hmm. Um, I guess I kind of stuck to a group of friends, but I, I ended up, um, I I guess I have to back up a, a, a little bit. I, um, Along with the sports, I did get into to BMX and BMX racing, probably from starting in seventh grade. Okay. And um, I can recall ordering my first pair of Vans, but I think from California Cheapskates or something, mm-hmm. mail order, and getting them sent to the house, thinking they were the coolest thing because I saw them in the magazines and I saw all these BMXers wearing them and wearing them to junior high and like completely getting made fun of like <laughs> nobody thought they were cool nobody knew what they were I, re- I remember everyone calling them gardening shoes and things like that oh. and um i didn't care i loved them and then my bike got stolen my, my PMX bike uh eighth grade and then leading into ninth grade um the, the kid sitting behind me in homeroom the first day of class was like all about skateboarding and punk rock and I was really interested in skateboarding, and that's kind of where it all started, kind of both of those things in tandem. Got it. Um, and so did your, uh, were your parents pretty supportive, obviously, of all the, the, the sports and stuff you were uh, getting into and doing? They did. They loved the uh, they loved BMX, and, and they loved the sports. They were not that into the skateboarding thing, and they were really not into the, the punk music. But I was already into... Um, a lot of heavy metal before that, and uh, uh, actually a lot of rap too. Like, because you know, I think I started high school in '84, '85, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just before that was like, um, I remember in middle school hearing Run DMC and things like that, and kind of you know being really into that. Sure, sure. So you. Uh... Uh, I, I'm, what I'm gathering is that uh, music wasn't a integral part to your household. It was like you were doing a lot of kind of discovering on your own or through your friends that you were going to high school with. Oh yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have the cool parents that were listening to like the Beatles or or introducing me to like rock music. No, my 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 mother liked Barry Manilow and and. Uh, Neil Diamond and my dad like polka music, right? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. So, um, so I can I can yeah. imagine I, can, I, really... I can imagine once you started to bring home, like you said, the the metal records and stuff. It was like, oh, Daryl, he's he's lost, he's gone. We don't know what's happening. Oh, I mean, it was Ozzy and Iron Maiden. My mother hated it, and it made me like it more and more. Of course, of course. Did did it go so far, did it go so far as to like your parents trying to uh, kind of ban uh, you know music from uh, the house or like try to take records away or anything like that? No, not really. I, no, it wasn't to that point. Just just my mother really just disapproved. My mother was all about finding out what the lyrics were about, and I just kind of like you know, Ma, leave me alone. <laughs> you know. What do you care about the lyrics? You know, but she she always wanted to know that part, and so right that was where she started to kind of get involved. And 
some of the punk bands initially, I remember like photocopying album covers and putting them on my wall and I was like circle jerks and the meat men and stuff like that. So she was like, I don't like these names. And I was like, uh, okay. Right. You know, but. <laughs> well, you're like, what's wrong with circle jerks? That's just a pretty cool band name. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't think I even understood what it was what the name meant at the time. So nope, absolutely not. The name of a punk band. <laughs> totally. <laughs> when you're that age, it's just like that's a cool name. You're like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> Fifteen years later, it's like, oh, I get, I get why my parents would not like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then, as you, so so it sounds like your path to kind of independent music came from. Uh, so you started to get into metal, and then that's kind of where uh, sort of punk and hardcore started to follow that. Yeah, def- definitely. Uh, in fact, to take it back a little bit more, I remember my father um, was part of one of those um, music clubs where you order cassettes every week or every month or however it works. Columbia House? And I think what? Right. Yes. Columbia House. And uh, he had said to, um, I think I got my first boombox, and then he said I could pick two cassette tapes. And I remember reading that catalog like over and over and over and trying to make a decision. And um, I didn't have like cousins or anything that was were too into that stuff. I had one cousin that liked a lot of heavy metal. So I didn't remember picking out um, Metallica Master of Puppets. And for some reason, I picked out The Cure Boys Don't Cry. I have no idea why I did, but right. those were my two first cassette tapes that I could call my own. Dude, that's it. I could easily, I could just close my eyes and picture you like sweating <laughs> over that catalog for hours being like, I, I got to make the right decision. Like, this is not like, this is it. This is life or death. Absolutely. Totally. And I got two and there's like 200 in here, you know, it's like, oh my God. Right. And who knows if like you, you pick something like super lame, you could be, you know, sent off into a whole different direction of like, no, I'm really into this, you know terrible 80s hair metal band or something like that (laughs) um and so then uh, as you started to uh i guess expand your your musical vocabulary and you started to get into you know like punk and hardcore um was that uh, i presume that was like your sophomore junior year of high school when you started to uh, become aware of that's existence the punk was the first month of freshman year the kid that sat behind me in homeroom I think maybe the second day of school, he brought me a, a cassette tape that was like Misfits, Dead Kennedys, Sex Pistols, and The Exploited. <laughs> well, I can't. Re- I re- do remember that. Yeah. yeah, those are the four that were on there. Nice. <laughs> it's... So maybe even you know by the second day of my freshman year, you were you were like all you were just all about it at that point. Yeah, I didn't. You know, it was kind of like I didn't know what to think. You know. Right. But um. But that, that he brought me that tape, and I just kept listening to it over and over. Sure. At that point, it was game over. Um, mm-hmm. so, so did you, um, like, wh- when did you first start to go to, like, uh, actual shows and stuff like that when you started to, you know, be recognized that there were local bands and all that sort of stuff? Well, I do remember that. I, I remember, at least I remember my first two shows. Um, well, there was a local um, hardcore radio show uh, from Buffalo State College. And the only way I could listen to it was if I kind of did one of those things where I, you know, 
uh, either held on to my antenna <laughs> of my radio and to get the signal in, or I had to like do the thing where you know you, you kind of run some aluminum foil from the antenna and wrap it around like all the way around your room and things like that. And um, the show was on every Thursday night, but it was on late. So I remember I, I couldn't stay up late because I had to get up so early for school. I think I got up at like 5 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I used to set, wait up until it would start, and then I would hit record on the cassette tape and fall asleep holding onto the antenna with my hand so <laughs> I'd get the signal. And then um, I would hear the tape pop at the end of the side. I'd wake up, I'd flip it. And then I'd do that. And then the next day when I got home from school, I would start listening to the show. And those guys at the time were all about New York hardcore. And that was when I first started hearing a lot of the New York bands, Agnostic Front and Crowrags and things like that. Um, and uh, my first show, I remember they were advertising up on that radio station was FNFU. So that was my first show. Nice. And then my second, my second show was the Bad Brains. Oh, wow. Um, and the opener was the Goo Goo Dolls. Of course. Or not. Of course. And, um, cause they're a Buffalo band and they were the local band that, the local punk band that got to open the show. Totally. And Third Man In, Third Man In was, was actually the, the, the first band to play and that was, um, uh, local straight edge band uh, that became New Balance, and then from New Balance it became Zero Tolerance. Zero Tolerance, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Um, and so then, as you started to like go to shows and figure out that there was a local scene, um, you know, did you did you have ambitions to like want to play in a band right away? Because um, I know, obviously, like you mentioned before, you played bass for for Solid State, um, and then you played bass in the early years of Snapcase. Um, wh- like, why bass? Like, was that just kind of, I guess, handy, or is that something that was uh, you, you gravitated towards immediately? No, I can't. I wish I could say that, but I can't. I, I think that was sort of by default. Right. Um, I think my, my friend was determined to be the singer and then we had a drummer and then my cousin Scott, um, who was the original guitar player of, of Snapcase, um, was also in solid state and, um, he, uh, he played guitar. He was, he wasn't punk yet or hardcore yet, but my, it was one of those things where like, I have a cousin who plays guitar, you know, he's, you know, he's listening to, you know, not cool music, but I can work on that and, so that's kind of what I did. I converted Scott into, you know, got him listening to some punk and hardcore. And, nice. You know, that was sort of how the first band started. Usually the bass player is is totally one of those, uh, especially when in your earlier bands, is the person where it's like, well, they can kind of play guitar, but they're really cool to hang out with. So, like, how about you want to play bass in the band? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, in seeing your evolution in, in obviously uh, the, the bands you played in, I was like, I have a feeling that Daryl was definitely one of those dudes where it was just like, well, everybody else has uh, spoken for the instrument, so I guess I'll just pick up bass. It's pretty much what it was. And I, I knew a guy at school um, who, who had a, a Fender short scale bass for sale and uh so yeah <laughs> it was like well i got this bass i could buy right <laughs> you're like here uh, now, now we're so i guess that'll be my instrument 
Right. <laughs> sure. I guess, I guess that's what I'll do. Um, and so then, uh, you know, as you started to, uh, like you mentioned, once your, your parents were like, oh my gosh, I don't understand what Daryl's involved in. And this is a, a bizarre thing. Um, like, did you, did you care about school at all? Like, did you, you know, uh, apply yourself like you were supposed to do like a good little boy? Um, or was that something that you, uh, just kind of, you know, coasted through? Um, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't have an option <laughs> to not pay attention to school as far as like, you know, my upbringing in my household. I didn't really, you know, know any, any different sort of high expectations and, I maintained pretty good grades, um, you know, uh, you know, low nineties, I guess, throughout high school. But I, I, I found ways to to kind of to follow, you know, do that and do everything else I wanted to do. Got it. Um, and so, d- did you have, I guess, uh, ambitions as far as like a career is concerned? Was it one of those things that uh, you were just kind of like, well, I, I'll, I'll figure that out once it gets to uh, that point? Or did you have uh, passions beyond, obviously, uh, music and sports? Um, no. At that point, it was just, I know I'm going to go to, you know, high school, and then from high school, I'm going to go to college, and I have to keep my grades up so that I can, you know, do well in college and um yeah and and skateboarding and punk rock and hardcore was all kind of something that was fun that I got to do on the side got it and the same was from my same was from my cousin Scott his upbringing wasn't really much different mhm um he's a professor now so <laughs> right Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely that, that notion, especially because obviously when you're starting bands in high school, you don't have the idea, especially during that time too, you know, it's the early nineties. It's not like there was any bands beyond the, you know, maybe you could point to sick of it all being a band that's obviously like, you know, out there and doing it from a full-time perspective, but it's not like you probably had the notion to like, Oh, I want to be a, you know, you know, I want to be in a hardcore band and make a living off of that. Like that probably, you know, was farthest from your mind. Oh, absolutely! I, I never even thought of playing outside of Buffalo. Right, but for all intent and purposes, was Solid State kind of your first? Uh, I guess, like, obviously playing shows out and like you know going outside of Buffalo. Um, yeah, we did. We played. You know, we would play in Buffalo, and then um, I think I remember playing um, in Erie, Pennsylvania. It was probably one of our. Uh, our first, you know, out of town shows, and probably our second out of town show also <laughs> was Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania, and um, Erie is is in between um, Buffalo and Cleveland, and so the the guys in Erie would often put together shows where it was Buffalo and Cleveland bands. So the bands we used to go there and open for out uh, the band Outface. Um. And Outface is the band that Charlie um, was in that uh, ended up in Civ. Oh, sure. And I think Charlie was he, he was playing guitar with Judge and things like that on the most recent shows tours. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, and so, did, once you first started to like play shows and experience that, was it something that you, uh, I guess, immediately took to, or was that because you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some projections on here onto you. Uh, you 
you definitely seem like a, a, a reserved person, like in the sense of like the idea of getting up on stage and, uh, you know, attention being brought on you isn't like your first inclination or am I wrong about that? Um, I don't think I was always like the spotlight kind of person. You know, I, I wanted to be in front of everyone. Um, but you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I don't, wouldn't say I'm reserved either. I think I've always been, you know, you asked that before if I was outgoing, I guess I've always been outgoing. I've always looked to have conversations and new conversations and, 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 you know, and I'm still like that. My wife thinks it's really strange that I enjoy going to gatherings or parties where I don't know anyone as much as ones where I do know everyone. <laughs> Cause I like having, I like having new conversations with new people. So, right. Um, getting on stage and getting in front of people was, it was okay. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't why I was doing it and, you know, but, um, I was up for it. Sure. Sure. Cause I'm not going to hit on a lot of details that have obviously been covered by, you know, millions of other interviews and people can easily look up on Wikipedia. Um, so I'll kind of, you know, jump around here, but the, um, you know, once obviously, uh, you guys started to Snapcase started to make an impression, um, nationally with, you know, obviously the first seven inch got out there pretty well. Um, and then looking glass self definitely started to, um, you know, really, uh, endear you guys to being able to play, um, you know, outside of your, uh, sort of Northeast area. Um, the the way that you guys were, I guess, marketed and packaged with, uh, you know, you being on Victory Records and Earth Crisis and Strife, you guys were like, you know, the big three. Like, there, it wasn't like you could mention Strife without mentioning Earth, Earth Crisis and Stabcase. Um, you know, I, I, I know you guys were obviously different sonically, um, but like in the middle of that, as you guys were, you know, all you know, fast rising stars within the context of, of the hardcore scene. Um, did you feel like that sort of groundswell of support and momentum? And like, did you guys feel like you were uh, kind of a part of that? Or was it always just like, well, there's those bands that have a very strong political agenda. And then there's us that's kind of, you know, different than them. Um, you know, not bad, different, but just different. Um, I know there's a lot of questions wrapped up into that, but uh, just kind of seeing if, uh, you know, any of that would jar something loose. Hmm. Um, I don't, again, it's one of those things that I don't think I was realizing other people's perspectives or, or perception of, of us, you know, and when I say us, I mean those, those three bands, um, and how we related to each other. Uh, you know, I, I guess for me, Earth Crisis was from Syracuse and Syracuse and Buffalo are only, you know, 300, or, uh, three uh, hours apart. You know, um, and Dennis was in the band and he went to our, you know, was from Buffalo. So I think I saw us in Earth Crisis as being, you know, kind of coming from the same scene or same place and strife with like, there's those West Coast guys, you know, and, um, and then we played a bunch of shows, uh, together and it was, it was a lot of fun. And I remember, you know, kind of like it's one of those, it's one of the first times where I remember, the bands are all pushing each other to play harder than one another. And, um, you know, a little bit competitive, but a little bit, um, you know, good natured as well. You know, just kind of like that brotherhood is building. And then, uh, I don't think I realized what it meant to other people until, you know, maybe being interviewed in, in Europe, like a couple of years later and someone mentioning this new school of hardcore and they mentioned that case or crisis and strife. 
And I was like, oh, what part of that? Is that what people, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I didn't know that was something. Right, right. The, um, yeah, because it, it, it's just, it, it's so um, interesting to me because uh, it, it, it seemed like the convergence of obviously um, with Victory Records becoming this, you know, powerhouse of a record label and then all of the bands that, um, you know, were rising to the top. Um, it was kind of this, you know, this, this perfect storm that uh, evolved to where it, it seemed like it, there was this, uh, it was just a, kind of a, you know, a tempest in a teapot sort of mm-hmm. scenario. So like the, um, like, did you feel it from the perspective of like, you know, once you guys started to play shows and you're just like, oh my gosh, like there's 200 people here and we've never played in, you know, Phoenix, Arizona or whatever. Um, like, did you notice that sort of uh, trajectory or was it, um, was it just kind of like that, that, you know, ever gradual climb? I remember the first U.S. tour that we set out on, and I, I think somehow we got paired up with Margie Alban, who was our booking agent, um, and she booked Lifetime. And so our first tour was like half of it was us on our own, and the other half of the tour was us and Lifetime. And I knew that us and Lifetime were a lot different than each other. Um but it was still a super fun tour and we really bonded a lot. And then I came home and then I think when we did the tour with Earth Crisis and Snuff and Strife, it was like, well, these bands are a lot like us. <laughs> so, you know, and then when the kids started coming out, um, it was, it just felt fun. And I don't really recall thinking like, wow, this is, this is getting, you know, more popular or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think I, as far as like how big the crowds were, I still knew it wasn't like at the time much shelter or, you know, a lot of the red bands were still big. What was your, your first kind of, uh, I guess, headlining, uh, us tour. Was that like when you guys came out to, um, to do that, that California takeover show? Um, or was was there something else that kind of happened before that? Um, I'm not a great historian at keeping these facts straight. Um, shoot. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to nail you to the cross and really, Oh, you said something wrong here, but just like, you know, some of some of your earlier memories during that sort of like looking glass self time. Um, I, I, I just kind of remember, you know, I think on the tour we did with lifetime, we supported them. And then the tour we did with earth crisis and strife, um, we sort of rotated a bit from what I remember. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what would have been really considered our, our first real like headlining tour. Right. I'm sorry. No, don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh, I know I'm asking you to recall things from like almost 20 years ago, so it's okay. <laughs> the, um, and so then as you were, as the band was obviously touring, you know, semi-regularly, um, was it one of those things like you were basically just, you know, on tour and then you'd come home and just, you know, work some random job? Um, like what were you doing, obviously, at the times where you weren't on the road? We were going to school. We were, we were all going, we were all, um, going to college. And um, we scheduled all our tour dates either in the summer or um, during, you know, school breaks. We always at the time would do a tour um, at Christmas break. I, I think we pretty much always left like the day after Christmas until you know we went as long as we could. 
Um, and then we probably did, you know, a spring break tour and then a summer and then hit the road again in the summer. Um, and what, and what, what were you personally studying in school? Uh, originally I went to, um, the university of Buffalo as a uh, engineering student. And, um, that's when my, my, my academic career started to fall apart was because, uh, I was working jobs, uh, you know, um, in doing the band. I think I had a girlfriend, pretty serious girlfriend at the time. So something had to go. And I think it was, it was at the time of school, first couple of years of school were rough in college. Um, I didn't, I didn't do well. And, uh, you know, but everything else was good. Right. <laughs> right. It, it, with the engineering degree, was that something that you uh, w- were planning on uh, utilizing in a, a certain field? Because, I, I mean, engineering, that is not a, a subject to be taken lightly. You know, it's it's like mathematics. It's like you have a very specific uh, track that you're planning on going on. Right. Well, I didn't stick with it. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I recognize that the other, the other, uh, students in, in my department were far more serious about it than I was at the time. Um, I remember um, after the first uh, summer break, fre- after freshman year of uh, college, that um, you know, I, I my whole summer was about hardcore music, and um, the other people I went to school with were going to you know cities like New York or Chicago and talking about the architecture that they studied and things like that. And I realized right away, like, wow, I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing this right now. And I don't think I, I don't know if I even made it through my sophomore year at the time. And I think I, I switched my major starting then every other year. I switched to architecture because it was kind of similar. Uh-huh. I then switched to, um, I think English. I think I was an English major for a year or two, year and a half maybe. And then um, somewhere in there, I stopped going to school for a while. And then, uh, I don't know, years later, I ended up going back to school for social work. Got it. And eventually that's what I did. And now I work as a social worker in a psychiatric hospital. Oh, okay. Got it. It's funny because I, the um, my, you know, young brain in regards to like once I first started to go to shows and um you know you start to get to know uh you know the people that make up the bands that you like I just always remember people talking about you guys in a fashion of like oh yeah Stabcase is made up of a band of, of like really smart people like because you guys were all going to school and like you know usually the notion of once you start to tour in a hardcore or punk band it's like school like screw school i'm out of here but it's like snapcase always seemed like no we're reasonable about this we got to get our degrees <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if that was something that ever like filtered up to you guys to where it was like oh snapcase the uh smart hardcore band well i mean we were all going to school and like you know especially for myself and my, my cousin scott you know we were really focused on um you know school and where that was going to take us and the band was something that we were doing along the way. And at the University of Buffalo, where we were going, um, was where we met a lot of the other bands. And, you know, some of those guys, like, um, there was a band called Copper, and Garrett uh, Klon was in Copper, and then he eventually became the singer of Texas is the Reason. So 
um, you know, he's another Buffalo guy. I was kind of like hanging out during that time. He actually used to go on the road as a roadie for us. <laughs> right. No, I, I I think I remember that. I mean, I think I remember that. That was like, oh yeah, Garrett from Texas is the reason he used to roadie with them. Um, mm-hmm. And so then as you, uh, obviously as the band started to become more uh, of a serious endeavor, um, w- did you ever have to have that, uh, like you've mentioned, you obviously dropped out. Did you have to have that conversation with your parents of like, okay, I'm quitting, you know, school to like do the band more seriously, more full time. Um, was that a, a real kind of point of contention um, with them? Like you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. I, I think, um, it's a little foggy to me right now looking back at it, but I, I remember working night shifts at UPS, um, working like afternoons at a miniature golf place, which I, my cousin worked at with me. So it was kind of like her punk rock job. And then, um, you know, uh, my, I think I remember my father telling me right away that he was no longer going to contribute to paying for school. if I wasn't going to keep the grades up. So, I, I think I was paying for it on my own at that point, hmm. starting sophomore year even. Crazy. Yeah, so you were just like, well, okay, I guess I'll have to do this. <laughs> yeah, so I think I just felt like, well, I'm on my own. And my, my parents were a little disappointed, but they were, you know, sort of giving me that space to figure it out on my own. Totally. I mean, I'm sure that they could obviously see the uh, that you were passionate about it, but, you know, the practical nature of playing in a band, you know, wouldn't compute to your parents, I'm imagining. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Check it out. I want to tell you about an amazing new sponsor called Weebly. It's a cute little name, right? But you know that idea that you've had in your head for like years and years and years, and you've just never done anything with it. You're like, oh, I'll get around to it. I'll sign up for a, a, a Tumblr or I'll do it this way. Just forget all that act now. So Weebly is the amazing professional quality website builder or blog or online store. And that is why I want to tell you how easy it is to get started with Weebly. It was created for people with the courage to start their own business and dream to be their own boss. I mean, I'm technically my own boss here, so I get exactly what they're talking about. And you don't need to be a web designer. You don't need to know anything in regards to coding, you know, proper alignment, HTML, all that sort of stuff in order to make your website look awesome and professional and impress everybody. Like, you know, if you showed your mom this website, you'd be like, whoa, oh my gosh, son or daughter, you've done a great thing. And it brings your idea to life. And then you could drag and drop to quickly build and publish your site. It's super duper easy. I played around with it and I love it. I very well be maybe changing my own personal website to Weebly. Yeah, I'm still playing around with it, but I love their services. It's super, super easy. And you can customize and update it anytime on any device. It's pretty impressive. You're on the go. You're on your your phone. You can handle it that way. So anyways, what you need to do is fantastic websites should not get in the way of your dreams. Join over 30 million people who are already dreaming big with Weebly. Get started today for free. Weebly.com slash words. That is W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash words. W-O-R-D-S. So seriously, do it up. There's no reason for you to not try this. You know, you've you've maybe seen what's out there, but let me tell you, Weebly is the real deal. Weebly.com slash words. Now, on with the show.
And so when, uh, kind of on that same, that same notion, when did you, I guess, really recognize the fact that the band had picked up steam to the point where it was like, okay, like I, I, you know, I, I will be, you know, just working whatever jobs I can do, um, you know, to make ends meet. But, uh, you know, ultimately I am making a little money off this band in order to, you know, scrape by a living. Um, like when did that occur, uh, for you? Was that like during like progression to unlearning or was that a little bit before then? I don't remember when I was, you know, when the band became my official job. But what I remember is the time when I realized the band was really going to be a serious thing um, and a bigger commitment. And that was when um, Sick of It All had asked us to tour, uh, go to Europe and tour with them. And we hadn't met them at that time. Um, we just loved them and looked up to them. And uh, their agent called our called our booking agent, and our, our booking agent said, uh, "Yeah, I got some good news for you. I'm sick of it all. Wants to know if you want to do their European tour." Um, I think this was '94, and um, it was just like I don't. At that time, a lot of bands, American bands, were going to Europe. You know, there was just a handful, so. To us, it was like such a big deal. I mean, it was really, really major. And that tour was seven weeks long. And um, it was like, wow. And I remember working at, um, I was living in my own apartment at the time with some other guys. But I remember working, leading up to that tour at this uh, corner store. <laughs> like crazy, leading up to that tour. And I quit for the tour, and I don't think I went back after that. That's amazing. I think I found like a record store job after that. But and and that tour was a huge transition for Snapcase. Um, seven weeks with who I consider to be one of the greatest hardcore bands of all time. Um, it was just sort of like hardcore boot camp for us. You know, we learned how to you know, um, bring it every night. And, you know, it was just, we were a different band when we came back. And we played in Syracuse maybe a month after that tour ended. And uh, I remember seeing a review of that show and, and someone, they had written that Snapcase went to Europe with Sickle and came back like a completely different band and, and it up like 10 notches. Right. Yeah. It was like, that was the transformative time for you guys to realize like, okay, like we can step our, our, our game up. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, so, so then, uh, you know, kind of, uh, fast forwarding a little bit to, you know, progression through unlearning, um, that you know that that was the time where it's like I, I remember hearing because I you know I for a couple of years I worked at like record labels and you know just I, I was familiar with the industry chatter that was happening around you guys um, of just basically being like oh like Snapcase like you know major labels are looking at them and um, you know maybe not particularly during that record but like there was uh, obviously talk of that happening um, was that all just like rumors or hearsay or like were you guys kind of entertaining the idea of working you know with a, with a larger label or something more mainstream. I think we were entertaining the idea um, and other bands were starting to kind of get picked up um, and I remember some of the 
labels were like, um, it was nothing, there was nothing great, you know, nothing that was like, oh wow, this is like really serious, but, um, it turned out to be kind of funny, you know, uh, Tommy Boy Records decided that they were going to do a rock division, have a rock division, and, uh, they wanted us to be one of the, the bands for that. And, um, so I remember going to New York and meeting with um, Tom Silverman, uh, who runs the label, and he started the label, and it was really the funniest, weirdest thing. I wish I had it on video, because we sit down, and he says, you know, I'm looking at you, and you, you look kind of plain and ordinary, and, um, you know, you see me, like this shirt, I paid a lot of money for this shirt, but I know I'm the only person who owns it. Like, nobody else has one of these. And I was like, uh, okay. And then he was like, and, you know, one of our marketers was at your show, and they noticed that backpacks is a real big thing with your with your fans. And so we're thinking, like, you know, we sign you and we do a backpack. I'm like, okay. And then the kicker was he said, so um, your new material, like, what's it like? Like, could you tell me how many, uh, BPMs, you know, what kind of, what kind of, how many BPMs are you guys playing at these days? And I was like, um, mid to up tempo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I didn't really know how to answer that. And I was like really nervous. And, um, you know, cause the whole band was like, Oh, you know, they couldn't wait to see how this went. And, you know, I was like thinking, you know, this is not for us. And at the same time, I'm thinking, I don't want to report to the guys that I, that I blew it. That you blew it. You know, but I, um, it just was the wrong thing. And I think we just used it as leverage with victory. Um, you know, there were a couple other record labels and, um, Caroline records, I think maybe a little bit earlier was interested in us. Mm. And, um, Tom B, uh, working there. Yeah. Yeah, awesome dude. Yep. And this is a really funny story, but he came to see us in Philadelphia, and uh, Lyle Presler, who was in Minor Threat, was mm-hmm. with him and was working for Caroline Records at the time. And um, they came to the show in Philly, and they watched us, and then we, I think we went out to eat afterward. And uh, myself and, and my cousin Scott were really like talking about a good game with these guys. And we were talking, telling them and educating them all about what straight edge was all about without realizing who Lyle Presler was at the moment. <laughs> it was really, and then, and then, uh, DJ Rose from Syracuse, um, was roadieing with us at the time. And he said, you guys know it's Lyle Presler from minor threat, right? And, and Scott and I looked at each other and just realized, God, we are the biggest idiots in the world. We're just like schooling him on straight edge. <laughs> <laughs> so good. You're like, let me let me tell you what this is really about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's so good. Those are two great stories of of uh, you know, you uh <laughs> you 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 being dumb and then you being in a total fish out of water scenario. That's amazing. Yep. Uh, 
um, it, it's funny too because I often reflect on the, on the the records like you know whatever Earth Crisis destroyed the machines and your guys's progression through a learning. It's one of those things where it's like you know there's kind of a, a starter pack of of like hardcore when you're first getting into things, and it's like if you're like okay if you want to know what mid nineties hardcore was representative about like you know here's here's these ten records or whatever, and so it's like because of that I, I just can't I can't even wrap my mind around how many people probably purchased progression through unlearning um like I, i'm sure because i mean obviously it was pre-sound scan and like you know people you know i mean labels were obviously keeping track of how many records they sold but i'm sure you guys had like no inclination of like oh we sold like twenty thousand copies like you know i'm sure you guys were just kind of in the dark as far as that stuff was concerned huh somewhat um i think as soon as that sound scan stuff was available and, you know, Victory was on top of that and was kind of making you really aware of it. Um, and all the bands kind of were. And, you know, it went from being, like, disgusted with it because, you know, oh, that's not what we're about. And then all of a sudden you find yourself paying attention to it. Um, and then later on becoming disgusted with it again. <laughs> so sure. That's kind of where that took us. Right, <laughs> right. Um and so then, uh, obviously, with you know your subsequent records, I mean, especially your uh, the last two full lengths, it's like you you guys as a band obviously kept um, you know progressing in ways that were you know you you were still Snapcase, but you were adding these uh, elements that uh, you know maybe made fans of what you guys were doing from an earlier perspective basically not like you. You know, you, it was like, oh wow, what is this sort of electronicish element? And like you know, you guys are doing stuff that I just don't understand anymore. Um, did you start to kind of notice that relationship? with you know some of your older fans kind of uh you know becoming adverse where it's like oh they're not coming out to the shows or they're actively uh you know saying things to us about not liking our our <laughs> our subsequent records or anything like that or is that just something that you guys just didn't even entertain that idea and just kind of put your head down and created what you wanted to i think we were creating what we wanted to and progressing with what seemed to us to be natural um you know, we kind of didn't want to make the same record over and over. A couple people had said to us, you know, guys, people really want to hear the crunch. <laughs> they want, they want, you want to pace up and keep the crunch and the mosh. And, um, where they go, okay, you know, but, you know, we were way too into like Quicksand and Helmet and, you know, so many other bands that, you know, um, that, you know, musically, you know, sounding a certain way to be hardcore wasn't important to us. Like, we just figured, well, we're from the scene, we're a hardcore band, you know, we consider, you know, putting a lot of thought into, you know, our message and, you know, things like that. So we didn't think that the the sound had to, was the important thing. But um, what you're saying is, is true. You know, there were a lot of people that were not following us anymore or, um, you know, losing interest and it was mostly, it was in America and it was in, in different parts of, of the state. In Europe, it wasn't as noticeable. But I noticed that the fans in Europe were always more diverse and they stuck with you forever. Um, and in the States, it wasn't the same. Um, Sure. You know, I, I can rem- I remember when End Transmission came out and in, in Europe it was it was doing really well and we were sort of peaking. 
And then in the States, we're really seeing a huge decline in, in, in our following and our shows. And, um, and I can recall going, you know, going to Europe to play and, and looking at the, the people in the crowd and saying, well, you know, I saw as many like Queens of the Stone Age shirts here and Mastodon shirts as they did like Earth Crisis shirts or Youth of Today or Stick of It All or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, in the States, it was sort of like we were either like 100% hardcore or we were kind of like just losing it. And, uh, you know, I think also we, we sort of started doing the, too many of the warp tours and we tried to start um, going on, on tours opening for bigger acts. And, um, you know, I think, you know, being on a big stage also doesn't really translate when you kind of grow up and your passion is in hardcore. Um, every, anytime we got a chance to just play some really small show where there was either no stage or a really small stage, I just remember, like, this is what I love. This is where it's at, you know? Right. This is better than playing to a huge crowd with a huge PA and tons of sound and light. You know, this is the energy right here. Right. No, that's, I, yeah, I can, I can understand the struggle of like, you know, feeling like you want to push yourselves further and play with, you know, whatever, go on larger tours with, you know, Deftones or whatever, but then, you know, f- feeling like you're missing everything that you obviously had built the foundation of the band on. So it's like, there's that push and pull where it's tough to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, did you, uh, you, it sounds like uh, there was, you know, there were obviously mixed emotions as you started to, you know, kind of come towards, um, you know, the end of the band. Um, like, did you, you know, did you yourself, like, become obviously, like, tired or, um, you know, like you said, the the business of the band kind of wear you down? Um, or, or was it one of those things there were uh, kind of other extenuating circumstances, not so much for the rest of the band, but specifically speaking for you? Um, yeah, I think I just recall getting to a point where being on tour so much and, you know, um, I felt like I was having the same conversations over and over again with people. Um, I felt like the people I was seeing on tour were having the same conversations. It was always about, you know, the scene and it was, it was either about the scene or it was about like success in in music. It was either like this band's blowing up and this is how many records they're selling and this is how many people are at their show and this is how much money they're making. Or it was sort of like the over nostalgic kind of like living in the past kind of stuff where you just keep talking about the same shows and the same bands. Um, which is great stuff, but you know, when you're stuck in a bus with it, you know, nine, ten months a year, and then you come home and you check in with some of your other friends or your old friends and they're kind of doing different things, you're like, oh, I want a bit of that too. You know, I want to be in a, you know, a soccer league and I want to like, you know, go explore some of these new things around here. And I want to, you know, and I'm traveling, but it's sort of of becoming redundant. And it's about backstages and sound checks and, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to get old. Right. Uh, did you uh, did you have any sort of struggles in regards to the um, 
you know, because obviously when you attach yourself as uh, so closely to the art that you're creating in regards to, you know, it's like people know you as Daryl from Snapcase. So it's like, did you have, uh, you know, problems like once obviously the band started to tour a little bit less, um, kind of integrating back into to real life? Um, or were you kind of like looking forward to turning that page? I was looking forward to it and I sort of, at one time, I, I think I just kind of made a little bit too drastic of a change. I sort of was like, cut myself off from, from hardcore and the music scene. Um, I remember just trying to figure out what do I want to do next? Um, I, I was like, I could go back to school. I only have a semester left to get my social work degree. And, um, I think at the time, as a quick side note, I, I decided I wanted to work, um, you know, more physical labor and, you know, learn a trade. So I think I, I learned, I apprenticed for a guy one summer to be an electrician. Dude, okay, um, Daryl, I apologize to interrupt you, but I, I literally have a question written down because I totally remember, like, that, you know, word getting around where it was just like, oh, like, you know, Daryl from Snapcase is an electrician. And it was one of those things in my head. I was like, dude, that'd be so crazy if I called an electrician and then Daryl from Snapcase shows up to my house. I'd be like, what the hell's happening? But it's just so funny that you mentioned that because that, you know, I, I knew that fact about you. And you probably were like, I just did that for a summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I I did this as an apprentice. I worked for free for a summer to learn this, and then I got hired by this local company, and they sent me out on all these real shit jobs and uh, working with these other guys that I had absolutely nothing in common with. And I remember being on the outskirts of, of Buffalo, kind of out in the, the countryside, and um, we were working a job, and... Um, we we took a lunch break and the guys wanted to go to um, McDonald's and I'm thinking to myself, God, I can't believe I'm in McDonald's right now. Like I, <laughs> I don't do this, you know? And these kids that worked at McDonald's were like, they, they recognized that I was Daryl from Sapcase. So they came up and they were like, you know, kind of asking, you know, if I would sign an autograph and talking to me. And the guys I'm working with are looking at me, and they, those kids walk away, and they go, who the fuck are you? Right. Because I never told them anything about this. And then, so I did, and they were kind of like, well, what are you doing here with us? And I remember just constantly questioning it. And then I got an offer shortly after to be in the electrician's union. And my, my father-in-law at the time, my ex-wife's father, was working in, in a similar trade and he was telling me I was absolutely crazy to not take this opportunity. And, um, I just remember saying, you know, I hate it. I, I'm not enjoying this as a job and I'm not going to do it. And, um, I, that was it. And you I went back to school for social work and yeah. Right. Um, and did you, something else I find, um, interesting, obviously about the way that, um, you know, you obviously express yourself lyrically in the band in regards to obviously the positivity and the sort of, you know, inspirational nature of, of trying to look at the, you know, whatever the glasses half full perspective. Um, did you, because I, I find it interesting that, um, you know, 
people that put themselves out there like you were doing, obviously singing in a band and then obviously having people, you know, come up to you either after the show or, you know, writing letters or however people were interacting with you and, you know, putting a lot of like, Oh, you saved my life. You changed my life. Like all these sort of things. Um, you know, did that, uh, I presume obviously a lot of it was exciting, but like, was that draining at all to you because of the, um, you know, just the, the, probably the sheer volume of like, Oh my gosh, like, okay, like, I'm, I, it's really awesome that I was able to, you know, help you in this, this capacity, but like, I just got off stage five minutes ago and like, I need to take a breather or whatever. Like, was there any of that or was it all just kind of, you know, awesome reveling in that experience? I, I honestly, um, have only good feelings and good memories of talking to people after shows. Um, and, uh, you know, it meant a lot to me to have someone come up and say, you know, I I quit drugs listening to Snapcase. I I you know changed this or changed that. And thinking, I remember it hitting me thinking, we're not like this. You know, um, we're not selling straight edge. And this is awesome. Like this is like this is you know this is how it works now. I you know that guy likes us because we're not hitting him over the head with straight edge. And he was a guy that sort of needed to clean up. And so he found himself and worked on it and he's giving us some credit for that. And to me, that's awesome. And they realized what we were doing was a really a good thing. And, um, so as far as people coming up to talk after a show, I mean, I could never get enough of that because, you know, I, I think sometimes you you don't realize the impact you, you might have or or what you're doing, what it might mean to someone else. Right. Well, I think it's interesting, yeah. too, like the, the line of work that you're obviously, you know, working in right now and the sort of the nature of a social worker is obviously to help people. And so, like, you know, I'm sure you can easily dry, draw the correlative line between what you were doing in the context of Snapcase and obviously what you're doing currently. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, constantly fighting, <laughs> fighting bigger systems, um, you know, meeting people with where they're at you know, that respect, um, you know, and, and when, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you, you get a little bit in return or, you, you know, you made a difference. Right. Um, and that's, that's a great thing. No, absolutely. Um, there's two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. Um, was the, um, uh, you know, I, usually when I, when I bring this up with people, they have, you know, maybe one or two anecdotal moments in their head of kind of like, you know, really surreal things that obviously you were able to experience because of the band, whether it was like a huge show you were playing or a really, um, you know, funny situation, like, you know, th those sort of anecdotal stories that just kind of like leap out to your head. Um, you know, is there, is there memories that you have attached to, you know, obviously the band, um, I know that are innumerable um but you know whether it was like a large show like you know uh whatever like i'll use the california takeover for me it's like i, I unfortunately was not able to attend that show because i was traveling but just like listening to that uh listening to those live recordings it was just like oh my gosh it was overwhelming and i subsequently saw you guys and it was amazing but um you know do you have those sort of like you know moments that you kind of you know reflect on being like oh that was insane we played to you know five thousand people in new york or you know any of those other uh anecdotal moments that stick out in your head Uh, hmm. I know I'm putting you on the spot. I apologize. The, <laughs> yeah. 
I know. I'm, I apologize. There are so many. Um, one that's kind of fresh in my head, and you mentioned that, you know, era or that wave of hardcore that was, you know, Snapcase, Earth Crisis, Strife. Um, recently, I've had some discussions with people about a show that we played in in, in uh, L.A., which was at the Las Palmas Theater. And um, at that show, it was um, Strife, Us, Ignite, Undertow. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on some of the other bands. Um, but that show was insane. It was just like such a killer West Coast hardcore show for me. Um, and, uh, I don't know if you know Aaron Bruno, who's, um, the singer of, uh, AWOL Nation. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, but Aaron, Aaron was like, um, they had a, a, a straight edge band at the time. And then they later had a, a rock band called Hometown Hero. And then after that, you know, he, he started AWOL Nation, but we just played a um, 25th anniversary show here in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And we asked a couple of people to record a few words about, you know, about that case. And, and on video, we played it during a, we took like a, uh, a break in, in the middle of the set and we played these videos. Um, and some of the guys were sick of it all and things like that. Well, Aaron Bruno chose in his, clip to talk about the show at Las Palmas and um, being a you know a California hardcore kid and, and going to that show and he said it was actually his first show and he just the way he described the energy the sing-alongs the stage dives um, you know all the bands seemed to be bonding it was just really special right. and uh you know, that the way he talked about it really took me right back to that that show. Yeah, it was it was great. That, that's amazing. Yeah, those really was. those raw emotions that are just like, you know, it could be you know years and years and years ago, but it's like you could just mention something and uh, it it totally all comes like flooding back. The um and so the uh, the, the last thing I want to hit on too was the um like you said you kind of uh you know obviously after the band stop touring like you intentionally kind of pulled out of um you know hardcore and it was it's funny because obviously i I, you know preparing questions for you for this uh this chat we're having and um you know it's not like you do a ton of interviews (laughs) it's not like you put yourself out there on on a regular basis um you know i I presume that's somewhat of a deliberate choice in some capacity even though like you said you do like to connect with people and have these discussions um you know i just find it interesting especially for uh, a singer of a band, because usually people obviously always want to talk to the singer of a band. Um, was that kind of a, you know, is it kind of intentional that you obviously aren't, um, <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better term, parading yourself out there? Um, or do you like to be obviously keep uh, segments of yourself uh, private? I'm not, I'm not a super private person. It's not, it's not about being um, private. I am, um... I find it hard to do too many things at once. <laughs> so, you know, um, these days, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a dad. Um, I've got a, 
a job with pretty heavy responsibilities. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's probably just more of a, a lack of, of time and, you know, um, hardcore and staff case are super important to me, but, um, you know, that's not my identity as a person, but my identity as a person comes through Snapcase. Right. Um, I guess that's the best way I could put it as far as, you know, not putting myself out there. Um, and, you know, um, sometimes other people will make you aware of, you know, um, the kind of person you are. So, you know, my wife, <laughs> my wife, I, the wife is usually the one to help you out with that. But, uh, you know, she says, you know, you're not really that nostalgic. You know, you, you're always like in the present time or, or, or moving forward and you, you're not one to always, you know, go back to the past. And, you know, I guess that's part of what it is about me. It's not that I'm private or um, not trying to be out there. I guess it's just... You know, Snapcase is not an active touring band right now, and um, and I'm not in an active touring band, so I, I think that's why I'm not out there as much. Right. No, I I, I like in that. that capacity. Right. No, I like what you're saying. Um, it, uh, touching on your family, how many uh, how many children do you have? I have one, okay. and uh, one one son, and he he just turned one. So oh. it's it's been awesome. Oh, dude, you're you're yeah, you're a fresh dad. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's been great. That's cool. Um, just because I, I always find it interesting. Like I, I have a five-year-old son, and it's uh, it's one of those things that the uh, the view of of parenting from the lens that we're viewing the world in is is really interesting. Just because there's obviously a lot of uh, things that we're bringing to the table that obviously other parents haven't experienced, um, and so it's like, oh. I, I, I'm raising my child with this, this, this particular either set of beliefs or whatever. Um, but, uh, obviously other parents don't uh, immediately understand that, whether it's like, Oh, you know, don't do everything for money. Like maybe, you know, pursue what you <laughs> pursue, what you're passionate about and that sort of stuff. It's uh, it's really interesting. And I'm sure it'll, you'll have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, I already have. And, you know, some people talking about, um, someone was recently talking to me about success and that, all they want for their child is success <laughs> and to be um, better than that. Each generation in their family is more successful than the next. And, 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 um, and, and the one before, I mean, and uh, I remember asking, well, what does that mean? And they're like, well, you know, to make more money and to have a better job. And uh, yeah, I don't relate to that. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, you know, those are, those are nice things, nice benefits, but, um, you know, I, I want my son to, to be, you know, a better person than I think I've been and, you know, and to be open-minded and, you know, but for right now, it's just been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. No, that's incredible. Um, and the, uh, I promise last thing is the, uh, obviously Snapcase is doing, you know, sporadic shows here, there, where it's like, you guys, you know, play a festival. You guys, like you said, just did the reunion show, um, or the, the anniversary show in Buffalo. Um, is it one of those things like basically you guys will, um, you, you, you play shows when offers are cool and it makes sense and everybody feels like it's a, it's a fun thing to do. Um, 
because I presume that there's no uh, desire whatsoever to like trot it out on like a full U.S. tour or anything from that perspective. I don't see a full U.S. tour really ever happening for us, but um, I can tell you that the the show we just played in Buffalo was really a lot of fun, and I think that um, we played really well. <laughs> and um, we practiced hard for the show, and we played well, and it was fun, and it felt it just it felt so good. Nice. And we played a couple of shows last year that didn't feel like that, and we weren't that great, and that was very disappointing. Um, <laughs> so this recent show left such a good, you know, feeling. It's resonating with me still that I'm, I'm up for, for playing. Cause I, I want to continue to play as long as we're, as long as we're playing well and we're good. Um, if we keep, if we go back like we did last year and string a couple of not such great performances together, then, you know, I want to do it. Right. Um, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a simple, it's kind of, it is that simple. Um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get good. You don't want to become the Rolling Stones of hardcore and just be like, you know, old guys kind of, um, right. you know, uh, sort of impersonating yourself, you know, from when you were younger, you, you know, you want to go out there and feel it and have fun. And, and, you know, that's, that's just such a good feeling. And that's what this recent show was. I'd love to see more of that. And, um, We'd love to come out west. I'll tell you that much. Um, so I was talking to uh, to um, Andrew Klein and uh, also um, Joe Garlip, who's in uh, World Be Free, who's another Buffalo guy. Yep. And uh, both both were talking to us about that. You know, we should come out and, and play some play some shows out west. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean the the. the uh... There's that there. There would definitely be a uh, a lot of excitement from that perspective. So yeah, I I hope that happens uh, just for my own selfish sake, you know. <laughs> well, I, well, I I would absolutely love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, Daryl. Thank you so much for doing this. This is uh this has been really fun for me, and I uh, I I'm I'm glad I forced you down the uh, nostalgia trip uh, <laughs> on this on this front. So I appreciate you going down there. No problem. There's Daryl, and there was the four-year anniversary show of 100 Words or Less. Oh, man. So much, so much fun. I loved it. And thank you very much to Daryl for participating in this conversation. And again, for you, the listener, you've kept this thing rolling, rolling right along. And um, it's weird because there are times where I'm like, I don't know, is anybody listening? And then I get some amazing email or I get some amazing tweet or I get some Facebook post or something, you know? It just kind of keeps me motivated moving in the right direction and realizing that uh, i'm not just kind of putting it out there and no one's listening to it so honestly like i joked around at the beginning even if there were like 200 of you i probably would still be doing this and uh just doing it out of sheer love for this whole amazing music scene that we have been so lucky to find i mean i know everyone always talks about oh things are so much easier now that you have the internet and blah 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 but it's like I, I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care that it's easier. 
I just love the fact that people have tripped into this thing, however they found out about it, and are impacted by it in a positive way and are taking these philosophies, these you know radical ideas, whatever it is you're getting from it. Maybe it's just sheer entertainment and enjoyment. That's fine. But for people like me, and I know many of the guests that have appeared on the show, they've taken something more than just bands getting up there on a stage and playing or releasing records or whatever facet of the industry we've tried to cover. So anyways, that's me getting off my soapbox, but I appreciate you coming along for the journey. And the music is by Lowercase Noises. Visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.